The following content is from Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a gospel-driven high-adventure camp in western North Carolina. Go to swoutfitters.com to learn more about our camps and conferences. Enjoy the message. Um, I love that song. It, uh, it kind of it, it goes along with what we're talking about this morning, which is good because it really is kind of an articulation of the gospel, and that's really what we're going for. Um, this, um, man, I've been so encouraged this weekend. This has been so good. Um, it's been good for me. It's good for my soul, you know, getting to, uh, getting to think through, I mean, really what the cost of discipleship is, and then to, uh, to really deal with, like, what does it mean to, to drift away? And how do you not drift away? I don't know for you guys, um, you guys, I grew up on hymns. I love hymns. Uh, there's a hymn, it's called Come Thou Fount. Agreed. Yes, it's very good. <laughs> but there's one line in it. It says, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And I mean, so many times, I mean, that strikes me because I think, man, m- my nature is to drift away. I mean, that's what we've, we're talking about. That's what happens. You don't drift towards holiness. You drift away from God. That's, what, that's left on your own, right? If, if you would like to not grow anymore spiritually, easy, just stop. And you would just drift away. And then he says, here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. And I think that, I mean, that's what we've been talking about. Like, you know, if you want to continue to pursue the Lord, to not fall away, to not drift away, can just realize that you have been sealed that's what we're going to talk about this morning. This morning we're going to talk about the fact, we're, ta- we're going to talk about Christ in you, the hope of glory, which is awesome. And I think for you especially right now, like you're the, the, the generation that you're a part of, the situation that you're in, it is very hard to be a Christian. And I think about being a Christian in college right now is so difficult because you, especially if you're going to a state school, because you're constantly being bombarded with the fact that to be a Christian is to believe crazy, foolish things. You have to be ridiculous. You have to, you know that Christianity is anti-intellectual. You guys believe just ridiculous things. And what's fascinating is, you know, like, if we put all the cards on the table, Christianity does believe crazy things. It's, Christianity on paper is very hard to believe. I mean, we believe that there is an eternal immaterial, powerful being that spoke everything into existence. Okay? Yep. That's, uh, that's hard to believe. And we also believe that this eternal being who created everything decided to become a baby and was born a natural birth. God w- had a natural birth and lived a perfect sinless life. Yep, that's crazy. And then this God became man, died after living a perfect life, and then on his own volition came back from the dead. You see, that's hard to believe. I mean, for a lot of us, if you've grown up in in Sunday school, like you hear that and you're like, oh yeah, that's true. But think about it. 
If you don't have a Christian mindset, that is crazy. That's crazy talk. And it would be crazy if it weren't true. Man, for me, that is huge. Because we're going to be talking about hope this morning. We're going to be talking about hope. And when we talk about hope, we're not talking about, like, I hope I win the lottery or I hope that a billionaire comes here and decides he just wants to give me a million dollars. That is wishful thinking. But when we talk about hope, we're talking about a confident expectation of what's happening in the future. We're talking about this desire, but with expectation. We expect it to happen. And I want to tell you this, that if you are a Christian, you can put your hope in Christianity because it is true. And for me, I'll tell you this, for me, I have a very strong desire to think the right things. I want to know what I believe. I want to know why I believe it. I, I hate uh, when things are contradictory. I need to have it evened out. I need to, have, I need to know what's right. And, and I'll be honest, I really believe, and I've talked, if you've been here before, I've talked about this, I believe I have a pretty weak faith and that I need to constantly broaden the foundation for my faith. But I want to tell you this, and this is what's so encouraging. If you want to be able to put, have real hope, real confident expectation that you're doing the right thing, and that is that Christianity has more explanatory power than any other worldview. I mean, think about this. Every worldview has to answer certain questions. You know, they have to answer like, where did everything come from? What does it mean to be a human being? Why was there right and wrong? What's the foundation for that? You know, why, what is my purpose? Do I even have any purpose? And what happens when I die? Every, every religion or worldview has to answer those questions and Christianity does so better than any other worldview. And that's huge for me because that means that I can believe this. And when people say, oh, well, that's foolish or that's anti-intellectual, you're like, no, no, no. It's not because it's true. You put, I mean, Christianity has been under rigorous scrutiny for the past 2,000 years and continues to come through unscathed. If it could have been proven false, it would have been proven false. But what, what do you hear over and over? You hear stories of people who are skeptics who are like, no, I'm going to prove that wrong. And then they wind up becoming Christians. <laughs> I mean, if, uh, you, guys, you guys have heard of like C.S. Lewis, right? Uh, most of you probably haven't heard of Josh McDowell. A lot, some of you heard, have heard of Lee Strobel. There's a Netflix movie about him. It's amazing. Yeah, the more serious that you take Christianity the more it answers all of the questions that the world has to offer. So I want to challenge you with that because we're going to be talking about hope and the first thing you need to understand is that you can hope because you believe the truth. Christianity has explanatory power that explains the world in which we live in and it touches us to the very deepest core of who we are. Um, what I want to do is we're going to walk through a passage of scripture. We're going to walk through Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 29. It's going to be up on the screen. I'm going to read through it, and then we're going to talk. We're going to talk about it. And the things I really want to talk about are uh, the way that Paul writes this to us. He, we get to see Jesus Christ exalted. This is an exaltation of Jesus, and then we get to see that he is bringing us into that with him and that we can have hope in him regardless of what's happening in the world around us. Because I don't know about you, but the past like two years has been difficult, <laughs> to say the least. It's been crazy. And with, all, with everything that's going on in our lives right now, we can have a confident hope 
we can have hope in Christ. Here we go. Let's read through. This is God's word. Colossians chapter one, starting verse 15. And some of it will sound familiar because we sang a song that had these words, in t- but, and we're going to sing it again because it's really good. It says, he is the image of the, this is talking about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he's before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and which I, Paul, became a minister. And now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh. I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship, of, the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. I mean, when we read through this, this passage is so rich, right? We're seeing that Jesus Christ is exalted. And specifically, we see that Jesus Christ is exalted in creation and at the cross, right? He's exalted in creation and he's exalted in the gospel, right? Look at what he says. I want to walk through this because some of these, it sounds really cool, but some of it's confusing, right? So let's walk through so that we can see really why Paul is exalting Jesus and what he's using as a basis for that. He says that he is the image of the invisible God. Brody talked about this last night. When he says he's the image of God, it doesn't mean he's in some way inferior or subordinate to God. No, no, no. Jesus is the image, the physical representation of God. You know what that means, shortcut? He's God. We're talking about God has existed eternally, immaterial, right? Not without a body, but what we see Jesus, Jesus is the manifestation. He is God. He's the image. He's the God that we can see. That's why Jesus said, man, have you been with me so long, you know, that you don't know? If you've seen the Father, I mean, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, Right? Jesus is God. He's the, he's the God that we can see who walked on the earth, right? It, and then it says he's the firstborn of creation, which is super confusing because it's like, okay, well, time out. Uh, you, didn't he create everything? How did he create everything? But he's also the firstborn of creation because it kind of sounds like he's the first thing born in creation. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about a position. It's saying that he is the firstborn of creation. He's the one who has the position of the firstborn over creation as if, the, like, think royalty. Think of the one who inherits everything. That's Jesus. 
He's exalted in creation because it's all his. It's like that documentary. Did you guys watch that documentary about that king, um, Mufasa? You guys remember? He's, he's, it's on, I think it's on YouTube. But the king, he brings his son up and he shows him his whole kingdom. Have you guys seen this? Yeah, I know. I'm kidding. It's not a documentary. I realize that. It's a cartoon movie. And the first one, I think, is better than the remake. And I just, that's just how I feel. But I've got nostalgia. You know, but he's, you know, what happens is, right? That's what a king would do. He's like, this is your kingdom. Everywhere the light touches. And, and it's, he's sovereign over it. That's what you need to think about Jesus for creation. For everything you see, he is sovereign over it. This is his domain. Yeah, that's a high position. That's actually the first position. That's what Paul will say. He'll say he needs to be preeminent, which is the highest position. And then he grounds it. He says he's the firstborn of creation. He says because, right? It says for, but we use because more. He's the firstborn of creation. He has authority over all. It's sovereign over it because he created all things and he holds all things together. Let's talk about both of those things because if you're confused whether or not, this is one of those situations where, well, does all really mean all? Yeah, Paul actually means when he says he created all things, he then clarifies. Look, he says he created all things, things in heaven, things in earth, okay? That, that should be sufficient, but he, he's not, he's gonna over-communicate here. Okay, whether things are visible he created them, or invisible, he created them. If you want to spin yourself out for an hour, try to think about invisible things. And once you're there, realize Jesus created that too, or those, or all of them. Whatever you're picturing, and if you're picturing it, it's not invisible. But he's over-communicating, right? He is, it's like he's trying so hard to say, what are the words that I can use to talk about how exalted Jesus is? He created everything. If you can see it, he created it. If you can't see it, he created that. If it's, a, if it's an authority, a ruler, a power, he created all of those. And then he says, it's crazy. He says that Jesus, all those things, everything was created by Jesus and for Jesus. Think about that. Everything that exists was created by Jesus and for him. That means you. You have been created by Jesus and for him. That is the whole story of scripture. We're gonna, we're gonna walk through that in just a minute. The whole story of scripture has to do with God creating us for a relationship with him. You were created by him and for him. And it's crazy, he goes on a little bit further. Not only did he create everything, but he sustains everything. In him, all things hold together. And this means literally. All things are being held together by Jesus. It's crazy because, you know, we human beings, man, we think we're so smart. And the, I don't know if you guys have ever done this. The more you start studying something, anything, the more you study anything, the more you realize, oh, wow, there's way more for me to learn. You know what I mean? And I think, look at what we've done you know, with the physical sciences, we've created so many things. Like, we're doing awesome stuff. But do you know that in all of our understanding of the, of the created order, there's one question we will never have the answer for? You want to know? It's why. I mean, think about this. What does science do? Science describes things. Oh, and, we're, and I'll tell you this. Just 
so you know, we're not going to know the why behind anything. The reason why we're not going to do it is because that breaks away from the discipline of physics and moves into the discipline of metaphysics. But think about this. Think about how little we know about everything. <laughs> Encouraging. Yeah. Like when you look around, we know that everything is made up of atoms that are sticking together. You guys know that? Everything, everything you've ever seen is made up of atoms that are sticking together. And we have no clue why. We can describe it. We can talk about positive, negative energies, but we don't know why. We don't know why everything is continuing to operate the way that it is. We just don't know it. We just have to assume it's just going to keep doing that. Really? Is that good enough for you? Well, we see it here. The, why is that happening? Why, are everything, why is everything sticking together? Well, Jesus is holding all things together. When we talk about gravity, you know, we can, we can quantify, we can describe gravity. We know that because of the mass of the earth that we're all being pulled towards the center of it at 9.8 meters per second squared at sea level. But we don't know why. I'm thankful, I'm glad, but we have no clue. No, no, no clue. You guys know that? What about every one of you has a beating heart inside you? And you're glad. And we can talk about the heart we can talk about how this is, it's an amazing muscle. It's an engine that is powering your whole body. We don't know how it started or why it's, why it's running. We can tell you if it's beating regularly or irregularly. We can tell you if it's not getting enough flow through it, but we have no clue why it's beating. Do you guys know that? I mean, your breaths are being sustained because the creator of the universe is sustaining it. That's amazing. We can say, and this is what scientists will say, we'll, we'll, they'll talk about the principle of regularity, like, well, it's always operated this way. Yeah, okay, but that just makes it harder to explain. Why has it always done that? Why? Because we know that Christ created everything for, for himself, and he's sustaining it together. And he needs, because of that, he should be exalted. So we see him moving on. He says he is the beginning, which is just amazing. Jesus Christ is the beginning. He was before the beginning, and he created the beginning. Anything that has existence, anything that began to exist, finds its cause in Jesus. It says he's the beginning, and then it says he is the firstborn from the dead. This also sounds confusing because you're like, well, I know that Jesus rose from the dead, and I believe that, but he's not the first one to rise from the dead. We see resurrections in the Old Testament. We even see Jesus resurrecting people in the New Testament. How is that different? Well, it's different because for those people, those people died and came back to life, but it, wasn't necess it was more of a resuscitation because they died to die again. Oh, and they needed someone else to raise them back up. Whereas what Jesus did is Jesus is the firstborn of the dead, meaning that too is part of his domain because he's conquered that. Isn't that amazing? Because Jesus died and then he undied. He came back from the dead. He brought himself back to life. Who does that? Someone who has defeated death. That's huge. We, we, we exalt him for that. And then it says, he's still, I, I, I just love it. Every, in this passage is just exalting Jesus. It says, for in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, right? So we've already said it. So it's, it's so clear. Jesus exalted, right? He's, he's exalted because he's God. He is the fullness of God. All of the fullness of God is in him. He's, he's God. And then it says, because, and now we're talking about the work of the gospel, 
It says, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things in heaven or on earth, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus Christ has opened the door for reconciliation with God. So let, before we talk about re- reconciliation, let's pause, let's summarize, right? Paul is exalting Jesus, right? He's exalting, he has the highest rank. He is to be preeminent, to be first, because he created all things, because he conquered death, because he's God, and because he's providing reconciliation. And now reconciliation is confusing also because reconciliation includes with it the idea that there was a relationship that was good that has been damaged, right? If you don't reconcile with someone you meet for the first time, hi, I'm glad we're reconciled. Well, you know, you reconcile with an enemy, right? You have to be reconciled with them. You had a relationship and it was broken and it needs reconciliation. It needs to go back to what it was like before. And that is man's cosmic relationship with God, right? I mean, God created man in the garden and what did we do? We sinned. We broke that, and from then, there has been a hostility between us and God. And, you know, we come into the story late, right? Most of us have come in about 2,000 years later. But we can't blame it all on, on Adam, right? Because what's he say? You too. You too were alienated. You were hostile in your mind and in your deeds. We can't just say, oh, man, Adam, it's all on him. No, you've sinned. I've sinned. In our thoughts and in our actions, we've sinned, but God has provided a reconciliation. He's provided that through the cross. I mean, this is amazing. When we see that we were alienated from him, we were hostile in our mind, we were doing evil deeds, and he has now reconciled. So if you are in Christ, this is huge. If you are in Christ, you now have been restored to the perfect relationship with God the Father. That's big. It says he, Christ is, look, Christ is, what do we say? Christ is exalted in creation and is exalted in the gospel. And then you, if you are in Christ, you are his by merit of creation and you are his by merit of the gospel. You belong to him. This is, this is so good. He reminds us of our need for reconciliation. But then the good news of the gospel is that it worked. Let's, Think about this. If you are in Christ, then you have been reconciled to God and your new relationship with God is characterized by the fact that Jesus is presenting you to God the Father as, look at the words, holy, blameless, and above reproach. I mean, if we could pause, if you are in Christ, that means that Christ is in you. Right? If all the fullness of God is in Jesus and that Jesus is in you, then you have been exalted to that position with God. You, we have this relationship now with God. You, you are holy. You are blameless. You are above reproach. And for so many of us, the hardest part of the gospel is to believe these as true realities about yourself. I mean, I've never seen it. It's never been like this before. You know, I've been, I've been in, in this ministry for the past 23 years, and more and more fo- folks of your generation are dealing with depression and mental health issues. And you know, at the core of it, the problem is you're believing lies. You're not believing the truth about who you are. You're, you're not believing that you're holy, that you guys know this, that if you are in Christ, Christ is in you, that when God the Father looks at you, he sees the truth about you. 
which is that you have the righteousness of Jesus. That is awesome. Man, it's so funny. Like, I, uh, I'm not a good, like, counselor. Uh, there's an old, there's an old, uh, an old, uh, what is, is a, you guys don't know this guy. Okay, every one of you actually knows this guy, you just don't know it. How many of you know who Bob Newhart is? Yeah, seven people. Yeah, I know, I know you do, because you're old. Okay, most of you don't know who Bob Newhart is, but you do know who Buddy the Elf's dad is? Okay, the tinker, you know, the one who raised him, not the other guy, the, the elf dad. You guys know who that is? His name's Bob Newhart. Anyway, Bob Newhart was a comedian who had a bunch of shows, you know, in the 70s and 80s, before any of us were born. And, um, <laughs> right, before any of us? Yep, you got it. Um, and he has this one sketch that is so, I love it. He's a counselor, and he has this lady come in, and, uh, and she comes in, and she's like, okay, now what do I need to do? And he goes, okay, just let me go, I just need to go over the rules with you. Um, it costs $50 for the first five minutes, and after that, it's free, but most people don't make it past the first five minutes. And she's like, wait, what? And he said, she's like, he said, all right, uh, go. And she said, well, you know, I just have these fears. I feel like someone is going to attend me. He goes, okay, stop. Just stop it. And she's like, no, but you, I'm afraid of. And he goes, whoop, nope, stop it. And then it escalates to all he's doing is just yelling to her, stop it, stop it, stop it, over and over. And I think, but isn't that kind of the answer? You know, because for so many of us, we are believing stupid garbage lies about ourselves. You're lying to yourself. You're, you're, you're believing a lie. You're not believing. Because who, whose word are you going to take? The way that you feel and your opinion or the creator of the universe who says that you are holy, you are blameless, and you are above reproach. And you think, yeah, but that doesn't correspond with my reality. I know the thoughts that I have, I know the things that I've done, and I'm telling you, that's taken care of. It's dead. What, I've been crucified with Christ, it's no longer I live, but Christ who lives in me. That, that he, became, he, who, he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. That he took our sin in his body on the tree that we could die to sin and live to righteousness. If you're in Christ, that's the most true thing about you. And for so many of us, we need to just stop and think on the truth and to let God's word tell us about ourselves. That's what he's saying. He's reconciled you to God. You're wholly blameless and above reproach before him, and we're choosing to believe lies. And then he goes on and says, yes, this is, and what I want you to understand about this too is that do you see who's active in this? That he has reconciled us to God. He is reconciling all things. Who's the active one? Jesus, I answered it for you. And you should have known that one because every Sunday school answer is Jesus. I sh I'll, next time I'll wait. That was a good one. Um, Jesus is, he's the one active. You have been reconciled. That's been done. And now your part is just continuing it. He says, yeah, you need to continue in the faith. You need to be stable and steadfast. And then he says, not shifting 
from the hope of the gospel. That, mean, I, 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 that makes me go back to yesterday morning with Brody, right, talking about drifting, right? He's saying don't shift from the hope of the gospel because it's the hope of the gospel. And again, we're not talking about I hope I win the lottery. We're talking about the confident expectation that the gospel is true and that God has made you for glory and he's taking you into that glory. That will help keep us on the path. It'll help us keep fighting. It'll pr provide perspective for all of the difficulties because if you want someone to understand what it's like to go through difficulties, think about Paul, right? Let's remember, do you, Colossians is what we call one of the prison epistles. Do you know why we call it one of the prison epistles? Yeah, he wrote it from jail. <laughs> He's not writing to people in the prison at Colossae. No, he's in jail. He's in jail because he's been preaching the gospel. Look what he says. He says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and, I'm, and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church of which I became a minister. So what's he saying? He's saying, I am rejoicing in my sufferings because he hasn't shifted from the hope of the gospel. He has a confident hope that's keeping him in line, that's keeping him pushing forward. He goes on, talks about the mystery, this stewardship that God has given him to make the word of God fully known. I love this. The mystery. We love mystery. It says, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Right, if, if in, I, wanna talk about, um, I wanna talk about suffering and mystery, and then we'll be done. But, because right now, again, I don't wanna minimize what you've gone through. You know, for some of us, man, it has been difficult. We've, we've experienced persecution. We've had, we've had struggles with sin and identity. And the thing, or you've done bad things and, and bad things have been done to you. And I do not want to minimize that. You've had big life-altering things damage you. I get that. I do not want to minimize that in one way. What I want to do is I want to maximize the glory of God. Because it's, it's a perspective issue. Look at what, look, if Paul, who went through more suffering than anything we could ever imagine, in 2 Corinthians 11, he goes through all of his, all the things that have happened to him. He's like, you know, many imprisonments. And he says countless beatings. Countless beatings? And then he counts some of them, right? He's like, oh yeah, the Jews hit me, did the 40 lashes on me, which is, you know, like what they do to someone, they, they're not allowed to hit them was it? They hit him 39 times. They're like, well, we don't want to break the law. So they hit him 40 times with a whip in a row. He said that happened to me five times. I was beaten with rods, which again, I don't want that to happen to me. And then he just casually throws in, and I was stoned once. Did you guys remember this story? Paul gets stoned, and they drag him out of the city and leave him for dead. And I'm just going to tell you, you know what I think happened? I think he died. I think he died and God brought him back to life. The reason why I think that is because this was a culture that it was not uncommon to stone people to death. And I think they would know. I think they'd know if they were done with it. But he said he was stoned. He was attacked by Jews and Gentiles. He, was, he's, he talks about in the wilderness, yep, in the cities, yes, everywhere I've been attacked. But when, when Paul is summarizing his suffering, he says, I rejoice in it. 
Look at what he says. I'm going to read two passages here. In 2 Corinthians 4.16, he says this. So we do not, remember what he's gone through, right? We, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. They're temporal. They're here and then they're gone. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Do you see that? Did bad things happen to Paul? Yes. Do you want to minimize those? No, but I want a perspective. He's saying, Paul, who had been shipwrecked three times, left out for a day and a half floating in the ocean. He says, this is a light momentary affliction that is preparing me for an eternal weight of glory. (sighs) Yeah. Because even if you experience intense suffering and you live to be 90 years old, 90 years of suffering pales in comparison to an eternity united with the creator of the universe. Being fulfilled in what you were created for and what you have been redeemed to. Right, look at, uh, Peter says the same thing in 1 Peter chapter 5. He says, be sober-minded. This is 1 Peter 5, 5. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith. Look at this. Do you, have, have you experienced difficulties? Yes. But you know what? So has everyone. He says, knowing this, the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his really long, no, eternal glory. He himself will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Think about this. Yes, man, is it difficult? Have, have you been in difficult situations? Yes, you have. Is, is the world, has the world gone absolutely crazy? Yes. Have you done evil things and had evil things done to you? Yes, but this is light and momentary compared to this eternal glory that we have. And then he talks about mystery. Man, it's so good. Because for so many of us, we like, oh, mystery. I want to figure it out. The mystery of the gospel is not that it's something we still need to figure out, but the glory of the mystery is that it has been revealed to everybody. Right? In fact, he even tells us this mystery is that Christ is in you. The hope of glory. When things are difficult, when you think, how in the world am I gonna, how, how am I gonna survive this? How can I keep pursuing the Lord? Wake up and remember that Christ is in you. Christ is in you. Man, the whole story of the Bible, the whole story of creation is God creating us for a relationship with him, right? We see it in Genesis 1. What do we see? God created Adam and Eve as separate. They're different from all of creation. Why? They've been in his image for a relationship with him that we ruined by sinning. So then what do we hear last night? God picks Abraham. He chooses a family. He chooses a people. He makes a covenant with them. He said, I will be your God. You will be my people. He then t- they, they then go into slavery. What's he do? He redeems them. He brings them out with a strong hand and he sets up a tent. He has a tabernacle that he tabernacles with them. This is God f- being with his people. And then 
Then he takes him into Israel. He has a permanent place for his dwelling. He comes down. I mean, God's glory would rest on the temple. And then what did they do? Same thing that, uh, that Rob was talking about. They just turned to other gods. How in the world? They've, what have you seen? Now nah, we'll turn to other gods. And then we have the prophets calling, right? The prophets are calling them back, calling back. And then we see in, in John that the word who created everything became flesh and he dwelt among us. That's that same word, dwelt, the same word that's used in the Old Testament for a tabernacle. Jesus tabernacled with us. This is God being with his people and says, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, filled with grace and truth. And then we see at the, in Revelation that God brings us into relationship with him fully, completely to dwell with us again. This is awesome. So we see what Adam couldn't do, Christ did. What Israel couldn't do, Christ did. What we cannot do, Christ did. And he's fulfilled this, right? He's paid the penalty for our sin and he's canceled the hostility between us and God. And now Christ is in you. If you're in Christ, Christ is in you. If you want, this is the ultimate tangible foundation for pursuing Christ. But he's in you and he is giving you a certain glory that you're gonna be called to, right? I mean, I think when you are tempted to think these thoughts, to say these words, to do these actions, right? Remember that Christ is in you. Christ is in you. When, you're, when it gets hard, when you're overwhelmed by the, by the weight of your personal sin, when you're overcome by the pressures of the world, when you feel like you can never be good enough, Christ is in you. Guaranteeing your future glory with him. So much of human history is filled with people who are uh, trying to achieve some sort of glory on their own. Why? Well, because that's what they've been created for. We've all been created for glory, and if we try to do it on our own, it's gonna be a false glory. It's gonna be an empty glory. You have been created for glory, and Christ has brought you into that, and it's, it's true about you positionally now, and will be true about you experientially in the future, but what do we need to do? We need to wake up. We need to reorient our lives and focus on this, that Christ is in us. He has called us to a glory. He has redeemed us for that glory and he has kept it in heaven for us. So when it feels like, man, I can barely see a light at the end of the tunnel, that light is the glory of God that you've been called to. And we, need to we need to keep pressing on. We need to, we need to reorient our lives to, s to believe what's true about us. And if you're not a believer, then all of this I hope strikes you as in something that reaches into your core because this is what you've been created for. If you're, if you're not a Christian, and please talk to one of us, you have been created for so much more, more than you could ever ask or imagine. All of the blessings that you have in Christ are infinite. You know, um, one of my favorite little hymns, I talk about hymns, is uh, Turn Your Eyes on Jesus, right? It says, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will go strangely dim in light of his glorious grace. That's what we've been called to in our process of sanctification, is to behold his glory, and he makes us more glorious. Thanks for listening. We hope this has encouraged you in your walk with Christ. Be sure to give us a rating and review, 
And for more Snowbird content, check out our other podcast, No Sanity Required.